Welcome to Onco Farm Pod. It's great to have you with us. I'm your host, John Bazaar, and today we will pick back up our um, landmarks in Oncology Pharmacy series, looking at uh, the original MOP regimen, M-O-P-P. Uh, so as we let's get into it here. Uh, this is from 1970, Annals of Internal Medicine, Volume 73, Number 6, starting on page 8. 81. This is one that I had to, uh, in our library loan, to get. So, titled Combination Chemotherapy and the Treatment of Advanced Hodgkin's Disease. First author, Vincent T. DeVita, who's a name that many of you uh, should be familiar with. And b- before I really get into this article, I want to relay a story from um, my PGY2 oncology residency. Now, I was talking to a preceptor, and I was. Um, I guess you might say developing the way I should uh, and not developing the um, uh, the appreciation for uh, literature review that I need and, and really the appreciation of history. And, um, you know, my preceptor told me a story um, of his residency and a discussion, topic discussion, he had, you know, during residency he's got these weekly topic discussions and, and he was leading the topic discussion on Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he said, I was just eaten alive and chewed up and spit out for not knowing what I need to know about the history of Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, did, you know, I said, okay, so this is the expectation. So I I, I reluctantly bought into, you know, wanting to learn the history um, behind how some of these treatments came to be. But I did not appreciate that until I was practicing on my own. And, you know, I knew that MOP was the old regimen, ABVD, or be a cop, is the new regimen, and that's kind of all I needed to know. And it wasn't until that first patient that had, you know, an EF of 20-some percent, and you couldn't use ABVD, uh, couldn't use be a cop, that you had to consider MOP. And, well, why don't we use MOP? And, and you know, the, our, our, we're kind of a secondary hospital where I am, and our, our tertiary referral center recommended using MOP, so... We've used this recently in a couple patients, and uh, because of that, I had to go back and pull this article, and it was it was interesting to read. So I'm going to sh- hopefully share some of that with you, uh, at least what I found interesting about it. So again, this is from uh, the 1970s, and Davida's group was at NCI in Bethesda, so this was done in a federal facility. First thing that struck out to me in the background, radiotherapy is probably curative in the early stages. Probably. And we know now that it is curative in in early stage disease, Uh, but at that time we didn't know that. Uh, The next thing that stands out to me about this article is the next two pages are a table of all the patients enrolled uh, with their initials, their age, their gender. And um, you don't see that these days. I mean, you could potentially figure out who uh, CB was, a 13-year-old male, between the years... Uh, you know, 1964, 1967 with Hodgkin's lymphoma. You could probably find that out, and it's, this was obviously an era before uh, we had HIPAA. So things were a little bit different back then. Um, <clears throat> continue on uh, through the background, you know, he describes the single agent activity of certain drugs uh, and how those responses are short-lived in Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, and that patients will sometimes respond in a second-line setting to a drug in a different drug class. And that there were some other combination regimens. So vincristine, cyclophosphamide, methotrexate, prednisone was one. They refer to it as combination one. 
although methotrexate didn't have a whole lot of single-linage activity, so, so procarbazine was substituted, uh, and that was regimen two. And this is, this is all background, okay, leading to the creation of, of the MOP regimen. So these were Hodgkin's disease patients uh, referred from all out, out of the country to the NCI, um, and basically they they basically were newly diagnosed untreated, although some patients may have been treated at an outside facility. But if they, quote, demonstrated resistance to one or more of the agents used was considered a significant reason for exclusion. So patients may have received one dose of something uh, before uh, as long as they um, did not develop resistance. I won't go into some of the pathology and staging, uh, their, their diagnostic criteria and things, since this is an oncology pharmacy-focused podcast. There is, uh, or was a thing that was done in this study, which was uh, basically antigen skin testing to look at the immune responsiveness before and after chemo. And and from what little research I was able to find on this, there was a theory that giving these myelosuppressive drugs would lead to long-term immunosuppression. And through this antigen testing, they were able to basically debunk that theory. So I'm going to read here the very first sentence from... Uh, the methods and, and the heading of treatment program because this is the basis of so much of our combination chemotherapy regimens today. Hodgkin's, uh, all lymphomas really, and acute leukemias. <clears throat> the drugs used were selected to avoid overlapping and dose-limiting toxicity of the bone marrow as much as possible. That's why you see vincristine and prednisone, not only because of their activity, but because they don't have that additive effect on the bone marrow in so many malignancies. Uh, patients were told to expect these side effects, bone marrow suppression, alopecia, neurotoxicity, and potentially an impaired future ability to reproduce because many of these folks uh, were young. In fact, the, the, the average age was 31. So the four drugs they used, vincristine, procarbazine, nitrogen mustard, and prednisone. Uh, now, 12 of the patients actually got cyclophosphamide in place of the nitrogen mustard, and the theory was at the time that cyclophosphamide had less bone marrow suppression, so it was up to the physician discretion that they could substitute cyclophosphamide uh, in exchange. And that only happened in 12 patients. Pretty much everybody else got MOP, uh, where the M is the nitrogen mustard, or meclorethamine, O, Oncovin, which is a brand name for vincristine, P for procarbazine, and the other P for prednisone. So four drugs, vincristine, 1.4 milligrams per meter squared on day one and eight of a month or 28-day cycle. Uh, nitrogen mustard, six milligrams per meter squared on day one and day eight, again, of a 28-day cycle. And then procarbazine by mouth, 100 milligrams per meter squared per day for 14 days of a 28-day cycle. And prednisone, 40 milligrams per meter squared per day uh, for 14 days of a 28-day cycle. And that was only for cycles one and four, um, and this was done for six cycles. And the patients that did get cyclophosphamide got a fairly, you know, average dose, uh, although not a dose you actually see a lot these days, uh, but 650 milligrams per meter squared. So those were the doses, and they monitored blood counts, and as long as they, the counts, blood counts permitting, the next cycle was reinstituted, quoting again. Uh, quote, in general, if a patient's blood cell counts were near levels that would allow full dosage on, the, on day 28, Extra time was allowed, usually no more than a few days, no more than a week. If recovery was not satisfactory after one extra week, therapy was reinstituted at a reduced dose level uh, as calculated from the sliding scale. So um, 
and the sliding scale I'll describe in a little bit, but this is still true today and this is the basis of that is if somebody comes in for the next cycle of chemo and their counts aren't ready, you either delay, although not very often, or you reduce their dose. And this um, we see all the way back uh, in the, the late 60s. So another thing that's different is today we think of dosing our chemotherapy drugs or delaying or dose reducing for mild suppression based off absolute neutrophil count. Well, here was total white count. So a total white count above four or 4,000, everybody got full dose. White count of three to 4,000, they got full dose of incristine but half dose of nitrogen mustard and procarbazine. A white count below three but above two, full dose of incristine, but then only a quarter of the dose or 25% nitrogen mustard procarbazine. And then uh, a white count below two but above one, 50% of incristine, which we would probably not dose reduce that these days. And then 25% of the other of nitrogen mustard procarbazine, and then less than one, no drugs were given, and prednisone was full dose all the time. Similar dosing strategy for platelets, platelets above 100,000, full dose of everything, uh, 50 to 100,000, 50 to 100, full dose of incristine, quarter dose nitrogen mustard and procarbazine, and there's a typo here. It says greater than 50, no drug, and then they mean less than 50. So that was that was the regimen. That's what they got, MOPP. So Vincristi, nitrogen mustard, days 1 and 8. Prednisone, procarbazine by mouth, days 1 to 14 for 6 cycles, although prednisone was only on cycles 1 and 4. So looking at the results, they had uh, 44 patients, although one patient actually was misdiagnosed as a lymphosarcoma, and that was excluded. Everyone else is there. Um, Two patients had lymphocyte-predominant histology, which we might treat differently these days. The others had mixed cellularity, lymphocyte-depleted, and nodular, sclerosis, nodular sclerosis variants, as described there. Mean age 31, as I said. Uh, most of these patients were stage 4, uh, as it was staged back then. Okay, so the toxicities. And listen, I'm going to read verbatim here. Listen to the relatively subjective nature of these toxicities. Nausea and vomiting were invariably present to some degree in all patients treated and tended to be worse on days one and eight of therapy with nitrogen mustard. Some patients tolerate each cycle increasingly well, whereas others tended to develop more severe vomiting with each exposure. The fact that therapy would end in a finite period of time seemed to serve as incentive for patients uh, to undergo continued administration. And then also there's a similar comment about the fact that people who responded responded so quickly they could feel their disease going away and they felt better also gave them incentive. And that's uh, maybe opinion um, and reading into what patients feel. Um, but again, we've come a long way in how we describe nausea and vomiting in clinical trials of oncology. Bone marrow suppression, dose limiting, uh, and that was the reason for vincristine over something like vinblasting. Two patients died from treatment-related effects, and they were both theorized to be due to rapid tumor necrosis. So one patient had bowel involvement that wasn't discovered uh, at the time of diagnosis and ended up basically with a bowel rupture. Uh, another patient had uh, lung disease that responded so, so rapidly led, led to a lung abscess and pseudomonas septicemia. But nobody else had sepsis. Um, Leukopenia was severe but tolerable, um, and I'll talk about those counts in a second. They do, uh, all of the early chemotherapy studies do this. They tell you the basically the percentage of dose given or the percent dose intensity. So, you know, for cycle one, uh, people got 99% of what they should have received for vincristine, 95% for the alkaline agent, whether it was cyclophosphamide or um, Nitrogen mustard, same, and 93% for procarbazine. Now, by the by, the end, by cycle six, 
Patients were receiving only 84% of what they should for vincristine, 72% for the alkylator, 61% for procarbazine, and um, and 100% for prednisone. So again, as you see, but as time goes on, dose reduction is required more and more. Uh, the the average nadir count was about three um, prior to subsequent cycles after cycle one uh, for white count. And thrombocytopenia was not a trouble. The, you know the mean platelet counts were above 150 um, for all cycles. Nobody needed uh, platelet transfusions. Um, and patients with bone mar bone marrow involvement actually had. Um, who had leukopenia and thrombocytopenia at baseline had improvement in their in their blood counts um, with the first cycle of treatment. There was a little bit of liver toxicity, some elevated ALK-FOS and uh, trans uh, transaminases, um, a couple reactivation of viral hepatitis that was described, and um, quote the combination of vincristine and cyclophosphamide produced severe hair loss. Yeah. Uh, but only 30% of those receiving uh, vincristine and nitrogen mustard, so those who got the study, uh, kind of the MOP, actually had hair loss. And so because cyclophosphamide was theorized to have less bone marrow suppression than nitrogen mustard, the fact they didn't see that, and the fact that cyclophosphamide caused uh, more alopecia than nitrogen mustard, that's the reason that this is not uh, COP, that it's MOP. That's the reason. Uh, because of the more al the greater alopecia with cyclophosphamide. Now, uh, if we fast forward, we'll see that the the inclusion of nitrogen mustard in this regimen leads to some some significant problems with secondary leukemias later on, which is why ABVD overtook MOP as the preferred regimen in the in the early 90s for Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, neurotoxicity was a problem. <laughs> uh, all 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 patients lost their deep tendon reflexes by the third cycle of therapy and hyperalcesia of the fingers and toes was always present. Um, now, no patient developed foot drop, although weakness and easy fatigability of leg muscles were common complaints. Um, although, so the physicians had the discretion to reduce the dose of incristine, uh, but this was not frequently done. Uh, as you can see by the, you know, the total uh, percent dose intensity of vincristine by the end of the study was 92%, 84% was cycle one, so, uh, you know, they were not capping the dose at 2 milligrams. Everybody was getting 1.4 per meter squared, so, so doses above 2 milligrams would have been used for sure. Um, but they do quote, recovery to normal always occurred in those achieving a complete remission. It's a little bit hard to believe that everybody uh, had a loss of deep tendon reflexes, but they all returned to normal, getting doses of increasing that high um, for two doses a cycle for six months. But that's what's written here. Uh, and the side effects to vincristine were um, attributed, uh, were more severe in older adults, although no statistics support that. Okay, response, so that's, that's the drug, the toxicities, uh, you know, an 81% response rate, 35 of the 43 evaluated patients had a response. So good, uh, you know, 81% going into complete remission. Um, half of the patients had relapsed at the time that this was published, um, but you know, you have a remission lasting for for more than um, 52 months. So again, you know, some of these patients were cured by this. Uh, and th that's really what makes this a landmark study is that we were able to cure some of these patients with Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, with MOP. Uh, and I won't go through some of the other things here and, and we'll skip through the discussion for time's sake. Um, and uh, most of the patients continued to work 
during therapy, usually only missing two days, so probably the day they had to come to clinic to get their day one and day eight, uh, day eight IV chemo. Um, and because hair loss was unpredictable, wigs were routinely provided and accepted by female patients, but rarely necessary for men. So the men knew. I didn't, I didn't need to worry about hair loss back then, apparently. Um, so that's MOP. I think this is always interesting to go back and look at these. Um, those of you who've, who've been with me for all these pods know that, uh, you know, the first pod we did was calibrutinib, newly approved drug. We're uh, slowly finding our way for how to deliver these in, the, in, a, in a timely fashion. So we're getting to the point that uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to do this every week and drop a pod on Friday and kind of go through an updates in oncology pharmacy, and landmarks in oncology pharmacy, foundations in oncology pharmacy, uh, and alternate those series uh, as we go through and then drop new ponds as necessary for really big advances or, or news uh, like a newly approved drug. So probably next week, unless there's a newly approved drug, we'll be doing an updates in oncology pharmacy, talking about some of the uh, new things that have come out, some of the, the update to labels through the FDA. But for now, I'm gonna leave you uh, thinking about MOPP MOP. Thanks for listening and have a great, uh, a great day and holiday weekend.